Good morning. My name is Linnea Gibbs, and this morning our scripture reading is from the book of Philippians. So please follow along in your Bible or use the screens on either side. I will be reading Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 26 from the New International Version. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. The word of the Lord. Father, by your Holy Spirit, remind us of your life, your death, your resurrection, and ours, through Christ our Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I learned as a small child, as most of you probably did, the childhood prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Actually, I confess that I prayed that with such rote that it just sounded like a tape recorder and meant just about as much to me until I was about seven years old and suddenly I realized if I should die before I wake well I didn't sleep well that night (laughs) death's reality intruded into my consciousness at seven Now guess what role it plays at 81. (laughs) Dr. E.V. Hill, who was one of the great pulpit orators of Watts, California, was preaching at a conference that I attended. We met in a beautiful new constructed sanctuary with remarkable brickwork and beautiful stained glass windows, and Dr. Hill began his sermon by talking about the windows. And then he said, but they're temporary. Then he talked about the brickwork and the skill of the masons that had been applied. And then he said, but that's temporary. And then he turned around to my dear friend and the president of the covenant, Dr. Milton Ingebrigtsen, and he grabbed him by the lapels and he said, I love you, my brother Ingebrigtsen but you're temporary too. 
But we live in a death-denying culture. Either death is denied or camouflaged or disguised or made shallow and flippant. We hear people talk about deceased loved ones or friends or relatives, whether they're athletes on the field or someplace else, but they say, oh, I know they're looking down on me and smiling. Really? Death. We kind of hide from it in our culture, especially in our culture. We disguise it with the language we use that surrounds it. You go to a funeral parlor, and it's no longer a funeral parlor. It's now a memorial center, and it's no longer a cemetery or a boneyard. It's now a memory garden. (laughs) And people don't die anymore. They pass over. Over what? I get kind of cynical sometimes about all this. But unless we are complete fatalists or nihilists, or cynics, we come equipped, it seems, with a built-in inclination to expect that life will have some sort of sequel, some sort of continuation. Edna St. Vincent Millay, who died in 1950 at the age of 58 years of age, as she approached her death, she wrote this, I am not resigned to the shutting away of living hearts in the cold ground. So it is, and so it shall be, for so it has been, time out of mind. Into the darkness they go, the wise and the lovely, crowned with lilies and with laurel they go. But I am not resigned. Down, down, down into the darkness of the grave, gently they go, the beautiful, the tender, the kind, Quietly they go, the intelligent, the witty, the brave. I know, but I do not approve. I am not resigned. And when we read the words of the Apostle Paul in our text, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, and then do a little editing and remove the phrase, to live is Christ, or Christ is gain. What you have left is, for me to live is to die. And that makes both living and dying without real meaning. Now for the believer, one who has accepted new life in Jesus Christ, death is not a horrible misfortune or an absurd fear. Paul refers to his approaching death as to depart. In 2 Timothy, he says, For I am, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. The time of my departure is at hand. I had a memorial service in a nearby church when, just before the service, a mother came up, a daughter actually, of the departed, came up and handed me a note and said, I wanted you to see this. 
Grandma Honey, who was the person who had died, her grandson put this in her casket at the slumber room. And this little boy, Bailey, had written, Dear Grandma Honey, I love you so much, and I hope you have a great time in heaven. I bet you had a good life, but now it's time to go. Goodbye. The time of my departure is at hand. God's timing doesn't fail. Now, for the believer who has really understood this concept, we become convinced that that is the truly Christian view of death. The believer knows that this world is not our permanent residence. I get a kick out of every time I apply for some kind of a license or something, they ask for my permanent address, and I don't have one. My permanent address, what an egotistical thing that is. The Old Testament saints in Hebrews 11 are referred to as they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. And the Bible's clear teaching is that we are aliens here. You know, sometimes I feel that truth so strongly. Sometimes I don't feel a part of this world. I love this world. It's beauty. It's incredible variety. It's people. But I don't feel a part of it sometimes. Its value system feels alien to me. Its language, the coarsity of their vocabulary, just grinds on me. The goals, the lifestyles of shallow lives. I feel alien. Now, understand, I don't feel superior to it. I just don't feel a part of it. Because I'm beginning more and more to understand what Paul writes about later in Philippians 3 when he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those of you that are a lot younger than me don't remember a guy named B.J. Thomas, but B.J. Thomas made fame when he sang, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. But he wrote another song that I'll never forget and speaks to me. One day I'll be sleeping when death knocks on my door, and I'll awake to find that I'm not homesick anymore. I've gone home, just going home where I belong. Now, if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ and pledged your allegiance to him as Lord of your lives, right then, your citizenship, no need of a visa, your citizenship is in heaven, where a place is being prepared for you. Death is not my hope. The coming of Christ to receive me home is. The Lord Jesus said to his disciples who were really frightened by the whole situation they found themselves in, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
my Father's house are many dwelling places, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that you can be where I am. And this great, wonderful good news enables us to live with a, with a wonderful freedom in this life, a kind of holding what God has given to us with open and grateful hands, even life itself. A few weeks ago, I was in the hospital out in Issaquah, and I had a cardiologist standing on my right side giving me the fifth EKG of the day and a nurse standing on the left side looking all concerned. And the doctor said, I don't know how to approach this, sir, but I don't have any of your documentations for, well, I don't know how to put this, but maybe end-of-life issues. I don't want to make you nervous. (laughs) I said, well, what's your question? He said, well, should something happen? I'm not suggesting it will. But should something happen, and this heart problem create a greater problem and all the rest, do you want us to use the electric paddles or or CPR or anything? And I said, well, if they're handy, give me a couple of shots, but don't miss lunch. (laughs) And the nurse said, what did you say? And I said, give me a couple of shots, but don't miss lunch. She said, I've never heard anything like that in my life. (laughs) Now look, I, I was trying to be funny, but I also mean it. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. They gave me a couple of shots, and I sit up, and I go home or to the golf course. That's great. But if they give me a couple of shots and then go to lunch, and I haven't gotten up, no big deal. I've gone home just where I belong. Either way, we can be homesick for heaven at the same time that we're not fed up with earth. Ready for either. A balance, a desire. Balanced with faithful service to our Lord, knowing, knowing that none of us are crucial to God's plans. We're not indispensable. We want wholeheartedly instead that Christ be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. By the way, that's pretty materialistic, too. That Christ be magnified in my body by life or by death. Either way, to God be the glory. I know some of you have heard me tell this story, but it seems appropriate. Several years ago, I was in a city serving a church when an aged black pastor in that community died. Brother Gray served a tiny little storefront church. Very small congregation, very poor people. And in order for Brother Gray to make ends meet, he worked as a janitor in several places in that city. And when he would come home from work, he would clean himself up, 
And then he would go down to the Four Aces. The Four Aces was the toughest club you'll ever see in your life. It was on the skid road of that city called Front Street. Brother Gray would go down there and walk into that tough joint and start to talk to those tough guys about Jesus. And they would tell Brother Gray, shut up. And he wouldn't shut up. And so they'd throw him out. If they threw him out the front door, good deal. If they threw him out the back door, that meant it was in the alley and they were coming out to beat him up. And they would. He'd struggle home, heal up, and go right back to the four aces. He loved Jesus so much, he wanted everybody, including these people, to love Jesus. Well, Brother Gray died. I felt a kind of obligation because of the position I held with the Ministerial Association in that county to go to Brother Gray's memorial service. I was the only white guy in that congregation. Must have been 40 or 50 people that showed up for Brother Gray's service. His body was in a casket up here in front cranked up a little bit so you could see his profile. Leading that service was the toughest-looking guy you've ever seen in your life. A razor scar, scar ran from his ear down to the corner of his mouth, testifying to some experiences he'd had in the four aces. He had been a bouncer that used to beat up Brother Gray rather frequently. But eventually... The love of Christ permeated his hard, hard heart, and he gave his life to Jesus. Became kind of an assistant pastor to a pastor that couldn't even afford his own ministry. He was leading the service. Big dude, mean-looking dude. But he led a service of two hours of the most joyous foot-stomping, singing, and yelling you ever heard in your life. I had a ball. And then the testimonies. People standing up, telling how they had been encountered by the love of Christ in the tough, irresistible, non-exhaustible love of Brother Gray. They went on and on and on. Two hours. I don't like long memorial services. I don't like them. But I love that one. That was great. Loved that singing. Loved the shouting. Oh, I love the testimonies. And then this guy leading a service said, Well, folks, that's enough. That's enough. He turned around and he walked back to the casket. He took the crank and he cranked Brother Gray down. So his body went down like that. And then he said, he stood there and he looked at the body and says, Well, Brother Gray, did you enjoy this? <laughs> Wasn't this fun? Isn't God getting the glory? And thank you. But it's time to say goodbye. Bam! He shut the lid. I jumped that high off my seat. I wasn't expecting that. He walked back to the podium, got ready to say something, and then stopped, 
turned around and walked back to the casket, lifted the lid about a foot, looked in and said, hey, Brother Gray, I'll see you in the morning. And he slammed it again. I'll see you in the morning. Now, when that time comes, for me, I'll see you in the morning. And the assurance that all of us can have, if we have committed our lives to Jesus Christ, is that we have passed from death to life, and we shall indeed be with him when he comes to receive us unto himself. Now that's a Christian perspective on dying. For me to live is Christ. To die, it's gain. We're going to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. That's appropriate. Because it's a celebration of a death for us to pay the penalty for our sins and the celebration of the resurrection. Living he loved us, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day.